produced in association with KPMG Australia, this is What Happens Next with Whitney Fitzsimmons. Hello, I'm Whitney Fitzsimmons. Coming up on the program, we discuss the importance of International Women's Day. I think when you celebrate progress, you also look to the future and talk about what more needs to be done. So I think it's also a day for action on gender equality. We talk to one entrepreneur who's on a mission to close the gender pay gap. You know, the thing about the gender pay gap is that it really sucks because we're earning less money, Whitney. That obviously impacts our retirement capabilities and our ability to invest and to save. And we find out how one company is focused on women growing their superannuation. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a financial institution actually designed for women where we could be supportive and and help women to understand how to grow their wealth? That's all coming up when we discover what happens next. Well, earlier this week, we celebrated International Women's Day a day dedicated to raising awareness around stopping gender bias and recognising women's achievements in all areas of life. A day for inspiration and reflection, looking at what's been achieved and what still needs to be done. One inspiring leader is KPMG's chairman and BCA board member Alison Kitchen. I caught up with her to find out what International Women's Day means to her. Alison Kitchen, welcome to the program. Whitney, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Alison, I'm really interested to know, what does International Women's Day mean to you? Oh, look, I think it's evolved over the years, Whitney. Traditionally, it felt like it came from equal rights and equal pay. Then it's moved more into a celebration of progress towards equality and recognising and celebrating the achievements of women in politics, business and society. And then I think when you celebrate progress, you also look to the future and talk about what more needs to be done. So I think it's also a day for action on gender equality. And it's increasingly moving from women's issues to broader business and whole of society issues through the eyes of the contribution of female leaders. And I think it's a great sign of progress. Early on in your career, who were the women that inspired you to achieve what you have? That's a really tough one, Whitney. Um... At the risk of showing my age here, I'm going to say I come from an era when not many people spring to mind. Mm. When I look back over my early years, I grew up somewhere where the women were my teachers and the headmaster was a man. Then I was sent to Sunday school with a woman and then I went to church with a vicar who was a man. Mm-hmm. And so every every aspect of my life as a child was really run by women with men in leadership roles And so I didn't really have too many inspirational people there. And I know a lot of women in that generation say, oh, my mum inspired me. But I think in the way, the only way she inspired me was to really say, that's not fair and I'm not putting up with that and to fight for it. The strong female leader that did stand out, of course, was Margaret Thatcher. Mm -hmm. And I can remember going home and saying to my mum, you know, I've been learning about economics. I think I need to vote for Mrs Thatcher. And my mum saying to me that perhaps I'd need to think about where I wanted to live if I was going to progress that way. So really weren't many women leaders around. You've achieved incredible things in your career. And how did you find that will to achieve or, or, or confidence, you know, in, in yourself to do that? I certainly wasn't confident for a long time, Whitney. As I said, it was more a sense of unfairness and Mm. I'm not accepting that. And 
you know, people always used to say to me, Alison, the best way to make sure that you do something is to tell you you can't do it. Um, because then you say, you watch me and I'll show you and prove you wrong. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't confidence. It was just a sense of that's not fair and so I'm going to prove them wrong. Um, and I think that's why I'm so passionate now about wanting to share and help other people succeed because I want them to have that level playing field so that they can focus on building confidence, building experience and really building the skills that they need to be leaders rather than it all be about fighting to overcome disadvantage. Do you ever kind of sit there and think, well, it shouldn't be this hard, you know, it's 2022, why can't we move this forward? Oh, look, of course it's frustrating and and Whitney, you're right, there's evidence of it everywhere. We're celebrating getting 30% uh, women on boards in ASX 300 now, so we're a long way from parity, but this is celebration. If you look at the number of female CEOs in the ASX, it's far less than that. Mm. If you look at those CEOs' leadership teams, Typically, their women leaders are in HR and in legal, and their men run the big P&Ls and have the power roles that generally feed into those CEO roles. We do have a long way to go. And I do think until we really crack equal care responsibilities for children or for other people that we have responsibility for as a society, it will be really hard because you'll have continued to have women more likely to be doing part-time work, women more likely to have gaps in their CVs, which means they build less experience, women less able to focus wholly on their work if they're trying to juggle children. So it's this, it's this you know, businesses, I think, are working really hard on putting policies in place. But until society really also moves and wants equal responsibility for childcare and for other family responsibilities, I think it's going to be really hard to really get it to the stage where it is business as usual. The pleasing thing about organisations that really have cracked it, and there are a number now, including KPMG, where their leadership teams are genuinely 50-50, they can see the economic benefit, the social benefit, the benefits that their clients see and the benefits in being able to attract and retain staff. And so the more we can show businesses the business reality, it's wonderful, but we also need to show society the society benefits as well. And that's, again, I come back to paid parental leave one last time, Whitney, because, again, I'm starting to really hear so many stories from young men saying, I had no idea what I was missing out on until I did this. They also, of course, had no idea how hard it was until I did this. (laughs) I bet. Um, But they are all just so excited and recognising it. And I think when they've had that leave and they go back to work, they go back with a genuinely different sense of how they want to interact in their family lives. And that's why... You know, I I said at the start, I think International Women's Day is moving into a whole of society issue. Mm. Australia's first IWD was in 1928 and was focused on equal pay for equal work, as you had indicated earlier in the interview. Obviously, there's been great progress made, but we still do have a gender pay gap. What's your view on this, Alison? Well, first, clearly, we do still have a problem, Whitney. In 2020 to 2021, we have a gender pay gap of almost 23%. I understand more than 42% of employers actively reduce their pay gap, but clearly they've got a long way to go still. I think that's why the WGIA reports are so important. Mm. Transparency helps. Calling people to account and being able to shame them helps. And since they have been reporting, we are seeing progress in the right way. Mm. Alison, as a role model, what is your key message to other women and girls who have ambitious goals that they want to achieve? Oh, look, I think 
COVID has been a real time for re-evaluation on a whole lot of fronts for a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I think you should really take the opportunity of that, take the chance to choose something different. And you know, Whitney, the other thing is at the moment, if I look around, I said when I was young, there weren't very many role models. What I love now is that there are more and more role models and they're young role models. You look at someone like Ash Barty, Mm. 23-year-old, number one tennis player in the world. She behaves and thinks of herself like an everyday normal person. So why can't I do that in my field? You see tremendous leadership from young female entrepreneurs like Melanie Perkins at Canva, Mm -hmm. like Sophia Hamlin-Wang, like the Australian's first female chief scientist, Cathy Foley. There are role models now. They are demonstrating that you can dream big, think big, do differently and be yourself in doing it and not have to do it in a way that's emulating men. So I'd encourage the young women coming through now to look around, see those role models, really creating a momentum of now is the time for change. So it is up to every young woman with aspiration to take that opportunity, be part of the change and step forward and seize the initiatives. And um, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see momentum building and anything I can do to clear the path and help people on the way um, really makes me excited and positive for them. Alison Kitchen, thanks for joining the program. Pleasure, Whitney. I've enjoyed our chat. Our next guest is on a mission to close the gender pay and leadership gap with her app Pep Talk Her. It helps women track success, build confidence and negotiate. What started as a side hustle has grown into a global business with a community of 60,000 professional women and clients including Fortune 500 companies such as JP Morgan, Salesforce and HSBC. To find out more, I caught up with Pep Talk Her founder, Maggie Palmer. Maggie Palmer, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. So, Maggie, one of the biggest challenges for women in the workplace is closing the gender pay gap. Mm-hmm. How big is the difference between men and women's salaries? Oh, it's it's not great. It's not great. So depending on how you crunch the numbers, the pay gap percentage wise is around 15 to 20%. And, you know, the thing about the gender pay gap is that it really sucks because we're earning less mm. money, Whitney. Mm. That obviously impacts our retirement capabilities, right? Mm. And our ability mm-hmm. to invest and to save. And so, you know, we know in Australia that women over the age of 55 are the highest growing group of people moving into homelessness, which is pretty scary. Mm. So when you look at the reasons behind it, there's three major things. Uh, Time out of the workforce, typically for caring responsibilities. Uh, The second thing is, is that women are more likely to be socialized to go into jobs that are paid less. So we we see women overrepresented in childcare work, in nursing and things like that. And then we see men overrepresented in more higher paying industries. But there's a third reason for the gender pay gap um, that researchers can't explain. And so they hypothesize that that part of the gap is because of bias mm. um, and discrimination, right? And that's that's the part of the gap that I'm, I'm really interested in changing. It's a big quest. <laughs> How are you doing that? How are you doing that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, and there's, you know, the good news is that there's a lot of people working on this challenge around the world. It's obviously, you know, a big pri- priority for the United Nations as well is moving towards gender equality. Mm. But 
the reality is that we're looking at one to 200 years wow. before we get there. And I just like can't sit around and kind of just twiddle my thumbs and wait for that. It's scary, right? Mm. Like it's, it's less than ideal. And so, you know, I actually experienced the gender pay gap myself mm. back when I was a reporter. And when I experienced it myself, I, I figured, Whitney, I was like, well, you know, I've got two options. I can complain about it, which, you know, is one option, or I can try and be part of the solution and try and fix it. And so what we do at Pet Talk Her is really try and close that gap at the grassroots level. So we have an app that helps support women to track their successes so that they have data to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. for promotions and pay raises. And then we support Fortune 500 and ASX 200 companies uh, to to move more women into leadership roles as well. So when you experienced it, was it really one of those situations where you were doing the same job as somebody else of a different gender and they were getting paid more than you? It was. And, you know, you raise a good point because when we think about the gender pay gap in all Western countries, it's illegal to pay Mm. people less Mm. because of their gender. But the reality is that I reckon most of your listeners probably know or have heard or have experienced it themselves that it does happen, right? Mm. Because the only way that you can prove it often is by going to court. And that's a route that a lot of people are not willing to take because it's stressful, it's expensive, etc. And you know the thing about Australia that's quite interesting, um, the United States and the United Kingdom have both outlawed pay secrecy clauses. However, they are still legal in Australia. Mm. And so we see a lot of financial services companies, a lot of big consulting firms still have clauses in their contracts that actually say employees cannot discuss salary or compensation benefits. And so what happens when you're not allowed to talk about it and you can't shine a light on it is that problems emerge, right? Mm. Because, you know, if you can't measure it, if you can't talk about it, if you can't fix it, then that's when, you know, a lot of the problems start to sneak in. So that's that's really got to change in Australia, in my opinion. Mm. And one of the things too, you mentioned that, you know, society's expectations of women and money. What about women's expectations of women and money? You know, like what do you think in your view that women can do to to help themselves? Well, listen, I think one of the coolest things that I've observed uh, in the work that we do at Pep Talk Her the last couple of years is an increase in, for men and women, content around financial freedom, around financial success, around investing, mm-hmm. right? And I'm so excited to see that trend. Um, and in particular, there is a lot of content, a lot of influences on TikTok, on social media, starting online courses to support women with investing. Um, and that's exciting for me because the, the reason that I care about the gender pay gap, firstly, it's wrong and that annoys me. But secondly, you know, if you have a share portfolio, if you have a retirement fund, if you're a capitalist, you should be interested in this issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know that when we have more women in decision-making roles, when there's more women in the C-suite, net profit for companies goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, And we know that if we can get more women um, into the workforce, maximizing, you know, their capacity to work, GDP will go up. So actually, all of us are going to be better off, happier and make more money if we can solve for this issue. So this isn't like a nice to have fluffy, yay, like Mm -hmm. women are equal. Mm -hmm. So I am very passionate about getting more women paid more money, Mm. um, more women becoming wealthy, because I also believe, and the research tells us, that when women have more money, they do awesome stuff with it, right? Whether it's philanthropy, and we've seen that recently with 
the Bezos divorce with Melinda Gates. And also, you know, women are very proactive investing in and supporting women-owned businesses, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I'm really passionate about. And as an angel investor myself, it's something that I certainly look to the diversity of leadership teams um, when I'm making my investment decisions as well. So, Maggie, obviously you're Australian, but you live in New York City. Have you noticed the difference culturally in the approach to this? Can you kind of give some insight around that? Um, I have found that the conversation around gender and equality and diversity more broadly is a little more progressed here, frankly, than what I observed in Australia. I think that that's changing. Um, but I I am heartened by corporate America's commitment, I believe, towards equality in terms of getting to parity and leadership positions for men and women. And frankly, beyond that as well, right? Like making sure that diversity across the board is represented in senior leadership roles in America. And I think it is important to acknowledge that whenever we talk about the gender pay gap and how it affects women, those statistics are so much worse for women of colour. That pay gap is so much worse for black women, for Hispanic women, for Indigenous women, you know, and all of us really need to be aware of that um, and fight to change that in our role as allies as well. What's your view on quotas? I'm in favour of quotas because I believe that you can't be what you can't see Mm -hmm. and I think that we need to set a standard. Mm. And I believe that, you know, there is capacity and the ability to grow the pie (laughs) so that no one has to get a a smaller slice Mm -hmm. of the pie. Mm -hmm. You know, we can a rising tide lifts all boats. I really believe that. So, I personally think it's a great thing. And we're actually seeing across the United States as well, certain states are starting to mandate that listed companies need to have a certain percentage of women on their board. Uh, NASDAQ has thrown around the concept of potentially mandating a certain number of female board members as well. Uh And I think that's a positive thing because until those quotas are in place, there will still be companies that just won't take it seriously. So you are a female founder and this was a career change. Obviously, you were a journalist before. Yes. How important was your support network in helping you navigate the tech startup world? Yeah, so it was was crucial. Mm. You know, I reflect on those early days of starting a business and I remember, you know, I had an anxiety attack for the first time, Whitney. I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm. And my friend was like, no, it's anxiety. And I was like, what? What is this anxiety that you speak of? And so without that crew of, um, and it was mainly women, I will say, of sort of other small business owners around me to support me and sort of pick me up when I was having those moments. Uh, that informal network was a lifesaver for me for those first two years in particular definitely important. I don't think you can do it alone or I can't anyway. I'm a very communal person. So uh, I couldn't have done it without without my friends and colleagues. What, what prompted the anxiety attack? I think just when I very first started my business, I, I would find for half hour meetings, I would be spending 20, 25 minutes justifying the fact that the gender pay gap was a problem worth solving in the world. Mm. And I just was like, I just don't want to spend my, this is not a good use of my time. I would be better off uh, making products, making money, making sustainable revenue. It was just some of the conversations. If there was a fly on the wall, it would have been fascinating as a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So the name, tell me about the name. How did you come up with it? 
I like to frame things in terms of the positive and I want to be hopeful. So it needed to be something that was positive. I actually wanted to call the business Pep Talk, um, but I couldn't get peptalk.com because it was already owned and is still owned. Mm. So I couldn't get that domain. And so Pep Talk Her was kind of born. Uh, Yeah. And it's one of those things that I think, you know, when we started the business going back, I guess, eight years now, it was fun. I think at some point we're going to have to change the name because I think the conversation around pronouns has progressed Mm -hmm. a lot and gender identity has changed a lot Mm -hmm. since the business started. So I don't think it will be our name forever, but uh, as a small self-funded business, we have to sort of prioritize. So branding is not on the cards um, to sort of overhaul this year, but I would say at some point in the future, we will rebrand. And just before we go, a good pep talk. What's a good pep talk? How important is it? (laughs) Well, I think it's crucial and I'm sure and I hope that all of your listeners have at some point in their career had someone who's given them a pep talk, right? You know those moments where you just need to pull your socks up and get it together and go into the meeting or do the live cross or walk into that boardroom um, and you just cannot find the energy. And so it's someone who can kind of channel some of their positive energy to help support you in those really challenging moments. And that's really what the app seeks to do all of our content and programming at Pet Talk Her is to support people and cheer people on, right? Because we want you to have a successful career. We want you to be aspirational and we want to help you get there. It's not easy. And you, you know, you don't have to go alone. Um, But I think a lot of people think that they do need to, right? And so our mission is really to close that pay gap and and help walk alongside you and and cheer you on to, to get there sooner rather than later. Maggie Palmer, thank you for joining the program. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. Driven by a desire to close the 35% superannuation gap between men and women, in 2018, Verve Super was born. It's an ethical, trustworthy, and supportive financial services organization for women, giving them an opportunity to control their capital and invest in a more compassionate, healthy, and sustainable future. To hear more about how it works, I spoke to CEO and co-founder Christina Hobbs. Christina Hobbs, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me on. So, Christina, you had a light bulb moment when you were working in Syria and Iraq for the UN. What was it? Um, I think I sort of got to a point where um, I guess I'd been working on the very pointy end of conflicts and natural disasters for about 15 years. Um, And I was sort of having this realisation that I wanted to come home to look at how we can address these issues um, from a more systemic issue. Um, and so that's really what, what led me back to Australia to start volunteering my time with a few climate change organisations, which in a very sort of crazy way then led me into superannuation, as at the time there was no superannuation fund that didn't invest in fossil fuels. That light bulb moment actually eventually became Verve Super. How, how did that happen? Tell me about that. Yeah, so there was a couple of things that happened while I was overseas and and one was that I uh, was becoming increasingly interested in women's finance. I could see that there were sort of these collectives of women using their money for good and, you know, empowering themselves globally, but th- there wasn't that much happening in Australia. So I was often the sort of friend that other friends would turn to for financial advice and guidance. And I just realised that there was this big gap um, in the market in terms of how women were being supported uh, to grow their own wealth. 
Um, and then at the same time, my mum was collecting all these statements that were arriving to our family home from all my various superannuation funds and was <laughs> was trying to get me to consolidate them. And um, through that consolidation process, I, I also went on this journey and, and realised what my money was was being invested in. And so I think one day it was sort of all these dots sort of joining together and and realizing that, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a financial institution actually designed for women where we could be supportive and, and help women to understand how to grow their wealth? Um, and then on the other hand, thinking about how we could invest that, uh, not only ethically, but, but thinking about how we could actually invest it to improve um, gender equality. What is the retirement savings gap between men and women? Uh, it sort of ranges between about 35 and, and 45%, mm-hmm. um, depending on whether you're looking at women who are retiring now or retiring in 10 years' time. Um, but what's important about that data, which often isn't talked about, is that this isn't just sort of a legacy issue of older women um, that weren't in the workforce. We know that as of today, uh, a female graduate starting work in the same job as a male graduate is still going to be suffering a lower level of pay, which of course then translates into just superannuation. And of course, that's before you even take into consideration the complexity of women's working lives and the extensive career breaks that many women take to, to care for children. Superannuation funds are very complex and highly regulated. So you were new to the industry. In fact, you, you just mentioned that you had a whole bunch of superannuation um, notices that you had to consolidate from various accounts. So trying to do something different, what was that first year of business like for you? Uh, It was extremely challenging. And um, I think kind of what summed it up really well was probably for the first months that we were in business, we had more people kind of reaching out saying they'd had the idea than we had um, actually mm-hmm. new members joining us. Right. <laughs> but the, the complexity of what, what it looks like to get a superannuation fund off the ground is um, is so great that, that it hadn't actually been done. Um, and, you know, I sort of, I, I think the reason why, you know, me and, and the two women I brought on as co-founders were probably ultimately successful was that um, although we'd worked around um, superannuation in other financial services, we'd never worked in superannuation and we weren't, it wasn't like at the, we weren't sort of standing at the bottom of the mountain looking up and seeing how tall it was. We were just sort of putting one foot um, ahead of the other. And I think that was really just sort of every now and again, taking a break going, gosh, this this mountain is a lot larger than we'd initially anticipated. <laughs> and by the time we got to the top, we were quite, we were quite tired. But um yeah, it was it was it was definitely a lot lot to to bite off, but for, for good reason. Um, obviously, you're talking about people's retirement savings, and I think having a, a really heavily regulated environment around that is is a positive thing. Mm. And you're four years in now, and still breaking new ground. You're the first Australian super fund to invest through a gender lens. How does it work? Yeah, so one of the things that I found quite fascinating when I, I started looking at Verve, we uh, interviewed about a thousand women to launch the fund to see what mattered to them and the ethics and how we invested. And of course, you know, the majority of respondents said they wanted to invest in companies that were performing decently on gender equality. Um, but when we looked at other super funds in the market, as you said, nobody was really taking this into consideration in a significant way, which really blew my mind when, you know, you've got funds that don't invest in weapons and, and don't invest in fossil fuels and um, all these other areas, um, this seemed like a real no-brainer. Um, and we're really lucky in Australia that we have the Workplace Gender Equality Agency that 
collects a lot of data from large Australian companies Mm. um, in relation to gender equality in the US and even in Europe, often a big struggle is to find the data across these different companies to even be able to compare and rank companies. But in Australia, we were able to rank Australian companies and um, through those rankings, we developed an index of companies that met our ethical criteria and then were top performers on gender equality. And then what was really interesting was that we back-modelled this and said, okay, how do these companies compare to if we just invested our members' money in, let's say, the ASX 200? Mm -hmm. And what we actually found was that based on this back-modelling is that we would have had superior performance, which was extremely validating. And as a superannuation fund, we're legally required to invest in our members' financial interests. Have any other funds followed your lead? No, we've seen, uh, I've had sort of informally other investment teams from other superannuation funds reach out to sort of see how we've we've gone about doing this. But I think that um, when you look at the investment teams in, in Australian superannuation funds, it's, a, it's quite a slow moving area. So, uh, when I was first on the board of a superannuation fund about seven years, eight years ago, you know, I remember discussions were just starting around around fossil fuels and everyone sort of thought that it was crazy not to be investing in fossil fuels, whereas today a lot of the large funds have have commitments around moving away from that style of investment. So I think mm. gender-based investing, it's, it's really at the beginning and I think that certainly in the coming years, particularly as we try to make more noise around it, we'll um, probably mm. see other funds following suit. Do, do your investors generally share your passion for Verve's mission-led business model? We've got about 95% of our members are women, but we have 5% are men or identify as non-binary. And, you know, when you speak to those members, they're, they're largely just members that really want to see financial equality for women and for all people. I think for our members, people join for different reasons. Sometimes it's purely the way we ethically invest, but more often than not, it's, it's a combination of the fact that we're an ethical investment company and that we also provide these additional services for our members as well. Being an entrepreneur can be an isolating experience. So how do you manage that and who do you turn to for support? I think one of the best things that we did really early on was that we moved into working in a women's focused co-work space called One Roof in Victoria. They're now actually an online community of women entrepreneurs. Um, And that was really game-changing being able to work around other women with other businesses um, was really wonderful because uh, what we realised was that no matter how different the business was to ours, you're generally going through these same sort of sets of of problems. And um, although I'd had sort of quite a varied career, both in the corporate sector and then with the UN, um, that was really different to having to navigate um you know, issues that are diverse as, you know, how do you build a website? How do you market? How do you raise capital? And so being around other entrepreneurs has been really, really critical to that. And how would you say your leadership style has evolved over the years? Um, It's evolved a lot, I think. Um, In the past, it had really reflected the nature of the institution I was working in. So I began my career in uh, one of the big four I felt very handheld. It was a really good culture. And then moving into the UN was, I guess, really eye-opening. I found it quite rogue in terms of culture. Um, <laughs> it was very, very heavily male-dominated by ex-military. Their expertise was in getting trucks across broken bridges or through conflict lines. Um, and, you know, my last job before I started Verve, I was living on a military base with about 3,500 peacekeepers 
Um, and I think there was about five women on that, <laughs> right. on that base. And, you know, I was in the Middle East. And so I'd really developed a very sort of top down, more authoritarian than normal firm style of, of management, you know, where you could not sort of demonstrate any form of like weakness. So then sort of starting Verve, where I think it was like just the exact opposite. And um, for the first time in my life, it was really exciting to sort of say, well, where do I feel at home? What kind of culture would make me feel really at home and excited and comfortable going to work every day? And then how do I create that for everybody else in my team? And more importantly, how do we hire the right people who then want to contribute to this culture as well? And so, um, you know, for us at Verve, it was really setting five core values um, and then supporting all of the team members that we have to contribute to building a culture that that rises up to, to live with those values. So can you tell me what's next for Verve Super? Yeah, so something that we're extremely excited to be working on is Verve Money, which is actually going to be an investment platform. Mm-hmm. So what we know is that when you look at wealth building and compare women to men, women are often better at budgeting and saving. Women are more likely to buy their first home first. Um, but where men tend to have more confidence and better skills is around investing. And we know that there's a lot of women out there, a lot of our members are asking for this because they've got 5, 10, 15, even 30, 40K sitting in cash in a bank account and haven't got it moving. So we've really been drilling down on this problem and how do we support people to confidently start taking money out of cash in the bank and investing it to improve the long-term growth of that money. So that's something we're planning to launch in the middle of the year and it's been incredibly exciting to be working on. Christina Hobbs, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. All right, well, that's all for the show. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the program. Until next time, thanks for listening to What Happens Next. You've been listening to What Happens Next with Whitney Fitzsimmons. Produced in association with KPMG Australia. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 